The couple had come in for counseling. They were having trouble, and the couple was coming in to this counselor to see if he could ascertain the problem. It wasn't long before he did. As the couple came in, there was the husband. He was puffed up. He was angry. He was belligerent. He was condescending. He was domineering. He was egotistical. He ushered them into the office. His timid, shy wife followed behind, and they began to explain all the problems more appropriately, more accurately. He began to explain the problems in their marriage. The counselor listened and smiled and nodded, took an occasional note or two, and then he looked directly at the husband and asked this question. Sir, would you consider yourself a model husband? Puffed out his chest a little bit, smiled, and said, absolutely, I would. I know that I'm a provider, I'm a protector, I'm a leader of the family, and I absolutely do everything I need. I would absolutely say I am a model husband. To which the wise counselor sat back and said, now, you do know that one definition of the word model is an imitation of the real thing. On Sunday mornings, we're talking about the story of the gift that we have been given through Christ. And uh, we're talking about a story that's easily modeled, and what we're trying to do is go back to the original. Uh, You've seen now two or three times an original Corvette. If you know me, you know that I am a fan of Corvettes. They're fast. They're sleek, uh, they're well-designed, and I've just always been a fan. I like the way they look, I like the way they drive, uh, and someday I'll have one. You say, preacher, having a cor- Oh, yes. It'll be, you know, when I'm in my 90s, but I will have one. <laughs> Years ago, uh, someone in our family gave me a model vet. This is, uh, this is pretty cool. It, it has all the little parts, the doors open, the T-tops come off, it it looks really good inside, you can see all of the details, but although it's a perfect model, it's not the real thing. Someone else found out in the congregation that I was a, a vet fan, Ken Meyer. Ken, if you don't know, he builds models, has a whole bunch of them, does a great job at it. He brought me this authentic uh, I believe it's a 1953, is that right? Anyway, I, I'm not a fan of the older vet. Yeah, you're correcting me. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. You can tell uh, it's, it, it's got way more details in the model. I mean, the doors open and, and the hood comes up and the wheels turn. And it's really cool. But the thing is, it's not quite the real thing. Here's a picture of the real thing. And even that, though it's a, it, it is a genuinely real Corvette, it is just an image. On Sunday mornings, what we are attempting to do in looking at the story of Jesus is not, and, and the temptation is very real. As we talk, as we sing the songs, as we, as we are in the season, it's very tempting to say, I know this story. Uh, but my, my, my rebuttal to that is, you know the model 
of the story. But what I really want us to do is open our Bibles and examine the real thing and to think about the importance of it as we talk about the gift that God gave us when we consider the reality that God Almighty in heaven above, infinite deity, almighty, all-knowing, all-power, everywhere, a part of him came to us and dwelt among us in the flesh. The incarnation is the, the $5 word for that. And, and it, it, it is tempting to skip right past the real thing and, and think only about the model, only about the things that we think we know, the copy of the copy of the story. But we're going to look at the original story that changed the world. Now, we began the series last week, and so to review, since uh, some of you may not have been here, we, we had a couple of gifts that we talked about. The first gift was that God always had a plan. That from Genesis chapter 3, from the moment that sin entered the world, it wasn't that that was a surprise to God. Now, it was certainly not the will of God, but it didn't surprise him, because at the moment sin entered the world and God was bestowing punishments, he showed that even then he was planning He already had a plan to take care of our problem. And the plan was always Jesus. The plan was always a savior, the seed of woman. The second gift is that that Jesus became a man. Of course, we understand that Jesus is all the way in Genesis chapter 1. When the scriptures tell us, it says, let us make man in our image. Jesus was right there, okay? But in order for the plan to come to fruition, Jesus had to lay down the heavenly glory of himself, and step into life as a human being. And that was the, the second gift, the second part of, of the, the gift that God gave to us. Now, if you're in your Bibles this morning, you want to turn to Luke chapter 2. The scripture has already been read for you. We're going to look at those scriptures basically line by line this morning. If you don't know where Luke chapter 2 is, it's on page 1099. Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be. As we consider the ongoing gifts given to us. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was in the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, which is which because of he was of the house and lineage of David. So the first uh, very simple lesson that we get as we step into Luke chapter two is that everyone counts. Caesar Augustus uh, taking uh, uh, proclaiming the royal census. Uh, this happened according historically about every 14 years, and the purpose of it was much the same as the purpose of the census today, although their, their census was probably much more of a simpler census. The, the census we take in modern times is uh, much more in detail, a lot more intrusive questions. Uh, this is very simple. They just needed to know the count so that they knew uh, when it was time for military service how many people that they could begin to uh, use for their armies. And also for, of course, the collection of taxes. Uh, You never get out of that, I suppose. God was uh, about to show the world that from a heavenly perspective, from a heavenly census, everyone counted. 
Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, Jesus is quoted as having to have said that you are worth more. He said, verse, uh, uh, sorry, I have the wrong reference there, but he said, you are worth more than many sparrows. Matthew chapter 10, rather, Matthew chapter 10, verse 31. You know, when you consider how many uh, stats, uh, in terms of sparrows and birds and bees and insects, uh, all of the manner of creation, they clearly outnumber us. And yet, as God considered all of those, and he knows each of them, he knows each of us intimately, personally. That you and I are not out of his sight. Strange question for you. Requires some forthrightness and some honesty. How many of you have ever, in a crowd of this size, felt as though you've been lost in the crowd? It's easy to feel that way. It's a natural human experience, even at a congregation like Northside, maybe even especially at a congregation like Northside, which is a larger congregation. It is possible, I I think it's harder here than most, but it is possible that you can come and just kind of weave your way in and out, have a seat, partake, and not speak to anyone. It is within the realm of possibility. Maybe you think, well, no one notices, no one cares. And of course, my argument to that is you gotta, you, you get out what you put in, right? You gotta, you gotta make some effort at it. But, The point is that human beings often have that experience of feeling like no one notices, no one sees, no one recognizes. And that may be true among human beings, but that is not true with God. God reminds us in Luke that even though it was through a Roman census that everyone counted, When you look at the story of of the birth of Jesus, there are a couple of interesting yet oft-looked-over lists in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 3. These lists are called the genealogies. Now, if you look at, uh, I'm going to look at uh, Luke's since uh, we're in that story this morning and we are studying it on Sunday night. Luke chapter 3 the, the difference between the gene- genealogy is, if you don't know this, Matthew gives us the genealogy, the list, according to his legal father, Joseph. Now, of course, he wasn't his biological father. He was his legal father. That was very important to Jews. They needed to know where your lineage, where your heritage, sort of your bona fide, your, your pedigrees, where you came from and how you could prove yourself to be authentically a descendant of Abraham. Luke, however, gives us the genealogy of Mary through David's son, Nathan. Now, you care to follow along, Luke chapter 3, the, the, the record of the genealogy of Jesus through Mary. It's interesting because in that list that we often gloss over, there are some important points in the story. Now, of course, immediately as we scan through that list, we see people that we know. Adam, Seth, Methuselah, Noah, Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, David, Nathan. These may be the larger, bigger characters in the story of God. People that, that we spend some time in a sermon series or a class or a 
book or a devotional or, or we focus on them for a BBS or a children's training app. I mean, these are the characters that we really focus on. But there are other minor characters that in some cases we don't even know who they are. And yet there they are in the genealogy of the, the Savior of the world. Melchi and Jani and Matthias and, and Nagai and, and Risa and Zerubbabel. And, and we know some of these names, but many of them we don't. In the genealogy of Jesus, there are minor characters and minor players from a human perspective. But God knew each and every one. Now, if that's true in his story, then it's certainly true in our story. There will be people in the story of God that God will use in mighty ways. They'll reach hundreds or thousands or millions of people for the cause of Christ. And there will also be minor players, people that you've never heard of, that are just as much a part of the story. May we not forget that though human beings rank people you know, and, 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 and popularize people and, and put the, you know, one selective group against another, God counts every person. He did then, he does today, he will tomorrow. The second thing we note as we go through Luke, we're continuing now in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, about verse 5 is where I left. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, Bethlehem is, if you were to put you know, a, a list, a genealogy of cities and towns, Bethlehem would have been a minor player. It was a small town. It wasn't Jerusalem. It wasn't one of these mega cities, but it was an important player in the story. It was important to God. It was the place where Rachel was buried. It was, it was David's hometown and his, the place where he was anointed. From a biblical perspective, Bethlehem was the place where mothers dwelled and where kings were born. And it's just as true as we continue in the story of the gift that God gave us. Continuing now in Luke chapter 2. And, and, and before we jump ahead, speaking of counting, one little minor note here that, that you need to understand that Jesus had siblings. Jesus was not the only child born to Mary. Some, some folks teach that. Jesus, in fact, had siblings. At least six siblings. Mary and Joseph had sort of a Middleton level of, of family. Uh, how do we know that? Well, this is the scripture that I was uh, going to earlier and, and uh, misquoted. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. Matthew writes, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And not are not his brothers James? Joseph, Simon, and Judas are not all his sisters here with us. So we had James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and at least two sisters. And Jesus had siblings. Jesus was from a large family. Now, Jesus was the firstborn. And uh, as a fellow firstborn, 
I understand how difficult it is to live in the shadow of the firstborn child. If you are a, a, a middle child or youngest child or somewhere under the firstborn, it seems like the firstborn always sets the standard. Can you imagine the standard that Jesus set for his siblings? Why can't you be like Jesus? He was perfect. That's interesting. It reminds us that Jesus was a real human being. Although he pre-existed the incarnation, he was born into a real human family that we might be born again into God's family. second gift we're looking at this morning is the the gift that we need not fear. Go back to Luke chapter 2. We look at, starting in verse 8, I'm going to jump back to verse uh, 6, give us a little context. And while they were there, the time gave for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. As we consider shepherds who were near Bethlehem, which was a place that, I mean, that was a large part of their economy and a large part of that purpose of that city was to raise animals for one purpose. Animals serve lots of purposes, but for Bethlehem, a large portion of those those animals went for one purpose, and that was the the sacrifices at the temple. Those animals were being raised to live for the purpose of dying. It is no coincidence then that God brings the story of one who will live for the purpose of dying. Who better to share the news of the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, than shepherds? Now, shepherds react the way in which most human beings react when there is a holy interaction. When you look at the stories of the scriptures of Abram, Moses, Job, Isaiah, all of these characters of God, when they came into the holy presence of God or one of his messengers, it was universally one response. Cowering, fear, humility, reverence. The shepherds do the exact same thing. Now, they are cowering in holy fear. And by the way, that's not necessarily a bad thing. There are some pulpits who will preach that that we should not fear. We should just, you know, God's just our buddy. May I respectfully disagree. God is your Father. He's your Creator. He's almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God. And when any human being comes in the presence of the holy God, the natural reaction is holy fear. And holy fear helps us. Holy fear keeps us from sin. 
Holy fear keeps us on the straight and the narrow. Now, there's a difference between holy fear and human fear. Holy fear causes us to be humble before God and to yield before Almighty God. It's what caused Noah to build an ark. It's what caused David to refuse revenge on Saul, even though he threatened his own life. It is what caused Isaiah to cry out, was the holy fear of God. But know what the angel says, fear not. Now, is is the angel saying, well, don't fear me, don't fear God? No, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, you need not have human fear. You need not be afraid in a human perspective. Because human fear is dangerous. Human fear keeps us from trusting God. Human fear keeps us from doing what God said to do. Human fear is what kept the spies from conquering the promised land. Human fear was a result of a lack of holy fear. So may we understand the difference between the two. When we say we need not fear, we need not have human fear. We need not worry about who's in power. We need not worry about who's in charge. We need not worry about the next generation. We need not worry about what the future holds. We need not worry about where the world will go. We need not worry about what they might do. We need not fear what the persecutions that may come. We need not fear. Because God promised to be with us and to never forsake us. May we then, in holy fear, live our lives of reverence, leaving and fleeing the very appearance of evil and seeking only to do what pleases God. The difference between holy fear and human fear is important. May we have holy fear. May we empty all human fears. The shepherds showed holy fear. The angels remind them that we need not have human fear because God is for you. We're in that verse number 11 now. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. And the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, pondering them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. You see, Mary, this was not her first interaction with the angel. She understood this was a fulfillment of the promise that had been made to her months ago. That through her would come the seed of woman the promised Messiah. And and, and may we not forget that it was the birth of Christ that led us to the life of Christ 
That it was the life of Christ which led us to the death of Christ. That it didn't stop there, that it was the death of Christ three days that led us to the resurrection of Christ, the hope of the world. That's why we're here this morning. Uh, That all started with the fulfillment of the promise and the birth of Jesus. May we not forget that this moment reminded us again and again and again that God is for you. Just look at the at the verse. The, 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 for unto you is born this day. That, was, that, that child that was born in Bethlehem that night was no ordinary child. And he was given for a reason. Jesus is, as Luke accounts, both Savior and Lord. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, that's a, a verse that's easy to overlook. It's a, it's a verse that's easy to forget. And it's a verse to, that we, maybe if we go by too quickly, we'll forget that there's two terms used in this scripture. Savior and Lord. It, it, it reminds us that Jesus was both. People get, you see, excited about the baby Jesus, the idea of a Savior. I mean, who wouldn't welcome a Savior? But oh, the number of people who refuse Him as Lord. May we not seek only the Savior, but may we remember that Luke reminds us That Jesus is both Savior and Lord. And you cannot seek the Savior without yielding to the Lord. It's easy to want a Savior, but it's hard to want a Lord. Because a Lord means authority. A Lord means a master, a ruler, a potentate. a, A one who's over you, one who's in charge. His will supersedes your will in all things. May we not forget that Jesus is not just a baby Savior or an adult Savior. He is the Lord, Jesus the Christ. A baby wrapped in cloths would be the last place we would normally place a baby. There are lots of baby showers around here. And uh, never once have I seen someone drag in a little manger and and some hay for this newborn child. But it was the first king-sized bed ever made. It's a reminder that the world barely even noticed, barely even noticed this baby that came into the world, and yet he was the Ancient of Days, the centerpiece of heaven. And he laid down all of his glory for you. He did all of that for you. He gave up heaven's glory that he might redeem your story. That he might save us and redeem us and rule over us in the way that only a good Lord can. May we not forget that he did all of that for you. Romans 8.31 says, What shall we say to these things?
If God is for us, who can be against us? I don't know what your story is. I don't know what sins you've committed, what burdens you're carrying. But you need to know that the story of Jesus is a reminder that God did not forget you. In fact, God did everything this side of heaven to save you, to redeem you. He's left the final choice in your hands. You see, you can have the peace of God which transcends all understanding. You can be righteous before God, but not based on anything you've done. Not based on keeping all the rules. You can be declared righteous because of the only one who ever lived who was righteous. Because of his perfect sacrifice. Because of his resurrection that conquered death in the grave. And though God is for you, He will not force that decision on you. Oh, it's easy to get excited about a a Savior. My question to you now is, have you yielded to Him as Lord? That's the crux of the matter. You see, at the end of your life, or at the end of all time, the question will not be, did you believe in a Savior? The story has been told again and again and again question is, did you yield to him as Lord? Did your knee bend before him? Did your mouth confess? You see, the scripture tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Right now, that's optional. Someday, it will not be. Do not wait for someday. If Jesus is not your Lord, I beg of you to bend your knee, to confess with your mouth that He is Lord. And then walk in obedience to Him. This morning if you have a need to bend your knee or to confess with your tongue, then the best time to do that is right now as we stand in.